I wasn't planning on sharing this when I wrote this three weeks ago. This is a journal entry of mine dated June 7th. Early Tuesday morning, I was lying in bed. The house was quiet when I heard a loud thud. I retraced in my mind who was in the house and knew instantly what had happened, but I didn't want to accept it. I made my way down the hall to my youngest son's room and opened the door. And there he lay in a fetal position, shaking uncontrollably on the floor with deep gurgling breaths. He was having a seizure. My heart sank as I hurried to his side and held him with a firm tenderness. I watched for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, not sure, not sure how long he had been seizing in the bed before he fell out of it. It's very hard to see your son go through this. Finally, the seizure relinquished its grip and slowly his body began to go limp and now he was breathing with very deep, prolonged exhales. I waited, I rubbed his head, I prayed for my son. I talked to him, even though he was incoherent. A few minutes passed and I lifted his body up under his arms, back onto the side of the bed, then took hold of his legs, sliding his body the rest of the way up and covered him with his sheet and his blanket. I just wanted him to rest. I wanted him to rest his mind. I just wanted him to rest his body. I cleaned up the floor where he'd been drooling and looked once again at my helpless son as he slept. God, please help him. Please help him. I continued to check on him every five to ten minutes. I just didn't want to leave him alone. I quietly came back at one point, and this time he opened his eyes and he looked up at me. He said, Dad, I've had a seizure. I know, son. And he started to cry and cry and cry. And I just rubbed his back, and I told him it was going to be okay. And I let him know how much I loved him. I ended my journal entry that day with these words. Nothing can prepare a dad to see his son suffer. Nothing. Nothing can prepare a dad to see his son suffer. Nothing. My son is 16. He's had uh, three seizures in the last couple of months. Uh, two and a half years ago, he had brain surgery, and it's been a test. It's been a test for my wife and I. It's been a test of life, and it's been a test of love. And my wife and I have had to come to the point, as many of you have had to come to this point, where you give that person that you love completely over to your God. And, and we understood that day when we kissed him and they wheeled him down for brain surgery that we might never see him again this side of heaven. We also understood that there could be complications and we might not get the same boy back mentally. We might not get the same boy back physically. Uh, it has been a test of life. It has been a test of love. And for some of you, God is testing you. He's testing you in your life. He's testing your love and your faith and your trust in him. And if he's not testing you at this particular moment, he soon will be. There is a test coming. It, it may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be a year from now, but, but there is a test that is coming. And God is going to test because he wants to know, do you love me enough to trust me? 
He wants to know, do, do you love me more than anything else in this world? Do you love me more than anyone else in this world? Well, yes, of course, we love you, God, and it is so easy to say those words. It's so easy to say those words as pastors. It's so easy to say those words as ministry leaders. It's so easy to say those words. We've dedicated our life to you, God. Of course, we love you. Just because we've dedicated our lives to the Lord does not mean we completely trust our Lord. Just because we serve the Lord does not necessarily mean we love God, that we love him with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. For some of us here today, I believe our love has started to grow a little cold. We've started to go through those ministry motions and and, and we serve, but we're more focused on, honestly, our comfort We don't want to take too many chances. We want to play it safe. We we don't want to face too many challenges in ministry. We want to be comfort. We like to keep it controlled and comfortable. You know what? We want to be in charge of the thermostat of our life. We all have people in our church, maybe in your office, who want to be in charge of that thermostat. Yeah, you know who you are. (laughs) They want to keep it just how they want to keep it. We do the same thing with God. God, I want to control what goes on in my life, and and I don't want it too hot, and I don't want it too cold, and I want it just right. Can I tell you something? God is not interested in your comfort, and he is not interested in my comfort. He is going to test us. He wants to know how much we love him. He wants to know if we really love him. He wants to know if we are really going to trust him. I want to pass the test of love. How about you? Two of you do. Great. Do you want to pass the test of God's love? That's what we need to do. And we need to continue to pass the tests of God's love. And we need to stay fervent and real in our love of God. And this morning, we're going to learn from a man who faced so many tests in life. And some of them, honestly, he miserably failed. But some of him, some of them, amazingly, he passed incredible tests. And he's going to teach us how to pass the tests of life. And he's going to teach you and me how to pass these tests of love. And if you have your Bibles, you better have them, pastors. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. Very few tests in all of Scripture that any man has ever faced, like the test Abraham faced with his son. Now understand with Genesis 22, we're not going to study this passage in detail. We we just don't have time. This this is a mini-series. Friends, I preached a whole sermon on one verse last week. So so we're not going to be able to go into the details of it. We're going to look at the mountain peaks, and we're not going to study this passage in technical detail. You're familiar with this passage, and my sermons are not technical, detailed, commentary sermons. I'm an exhorter. I, I go for the heart. That's how God's wired me. That's how he's gifted me. But we're going to study this passage first from an earthly perspective and and see the full personal application and watch this father and his son. And, And then we're going to study this passage from a heavenly perspective with full amazement and wonder and marvel at the father and the son as we see one of the most beautiful types of Christ in all of the Old Testament. Nothing can prepare a dad to see a son suffer. Nothing. Nothing can prepare a dad to see a son suffer, especially 
when you're called to make your son suffer and take his own life. Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Kill your son, slit his throat, and burn his dead body on that altar. Wow, what a test of life. What a test of love. Abraham has never seen anything like this. He's faced tests. He's, he's sojourning through this land of the Philistines, and he's, he's recognized by the king of Gerar, Abimelech, and the hand of blessing is upon him, and he makes a covenant, and he's called on God, but he's never faced anything like this. How are you going to pass the tests of life, and how are you going to pass the tests of love, whether you're going through them now, or whether you're going through them next week, or whether you're going through them next month? Number one is this. You better expect them. Say it with me. Expect them. Verse 1 and 2. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Abraham, here I am. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. No one is immune to to trials no matter how godly you are. You just ask Job. There's no vaccination against trials and tribulations. The tests will come. And you know when they'll come? They'll come unannounced. Out of the blue, all of the sudden, you're not ready for it. God's tests are like pop quizzes in the classroom of life. And let me tell you something. Your teacher doesn't have to ask your permission, consult your calendar, and give you a forewarning. And he doesn't have to do it for me either. He is sovereign over his class. He is sovereign over his students. And he can assign whatever he wants to whomever he wants, whenever he wants. The test will be given, whether you feel prepared or not, whether you feel you have the knowledge of the material on hand or not, he will test you. Sometimes the test will come in waves. He's recently shipped Ishmael off with his mother Hagar. He's already said goodbye to one son. We're told in Genesis 21, the matter distressed Abraham greatly. He's already reeling in his soul, losing one son. They come in waves sometimes. The tests will come at any age. You never outgrow them. School is never out for the child of God. Abraham is about 120 years old when he's told to offer up Isaac. He was 75 years old when he was told to move from Ur. He was circumcised at 99. Just what you want on your 99th birthday, huh? I mean, man, I'm doing the prostate check thing now, and I don't even like that. Happy birthday, go get circumcised, you're 99. Becomes the father of a child at 100. Seems like the older he gets, the more tests that are coming. Sometimes the older you get, the more tests will come. And with greater intensity. And they come in the extreme for this man. This is over the top. Offer your son as an offering. It involves losing a loved one, your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac, the one who brings you laughter and joy. Nothing hurts like losing a loved one. And some of you know what that feels like. It is hard and it is painful. God may ask for your child. God may take your spouse. God may take that beautiful little grandbaby 
that you love so much. God may ask for something or someone that is completely life-changing, that that rocks your world and hurts your heart and scars your soul and fills your eyes with buckets of tears that never seem to stop. It's extreme. It makes no sense. Isaac is the one they've waited for seemingly forever to conceive. Isaac is the future of God's covenant promise. Descendants like stars, sand of the sea, will come through this boy. Isaac is his personal pride and joy. My boy, Isaac, this is my son, Isaac. This is my miracle child, Isaac. This is the one that will carry on the family name, Isaac. And God asks for his pride and joy. Do you know what? God may ask for that which your identity is wrapped up in. Because your identity is not wrapped up in him. Your identity is wrapped up in your church. Your identity is wrapped up in that child who's a star on the field. Your identity is wrapped up on another diploma, getting another degree, so you could put it on your wall and feel so good about yourself because that's where your identity is. And God is saying, I am need to be your identity. No one else and nothing else. And if your identity is not in me, it is in the wrong place, friend. I'm going to test you on your identity, pastor. I'm going to test you on your identity, missionary. I'm going to test you on where you find your identity. We got everybody in the world self-identifies as something. Why don't we identify as God's children? He's my Savior. He's my God. And he is the one that I look to. God wants it in him and him alone. And he may call you to sacrifice that which has taken place, his place in importance. It is extreme. Kill your child. No, God, what are you talking about? This can't be right. This can't be what you've called me to do. Go to the land of Moriah. 50-mile journey, three-day trip. Eventually, it will be the location of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. He's not given any details on one of the mountains, I'll tell you. Listen carefully. When it comes to following God, you may be given the direction, but not the details. And that's okay. You just get going if you have the direction and you wait on God for the details, they will come in time. You trust him with the direction, not necessarily the details. And Abraham's been down this road, so to speak, before. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Reminds me of an old Rich Mullins song. And step by step you'll lead me. And I will follow you what? All of my days. Step by step. God, you will lead me. You'll lead me. And I will follow you all my days. How do you pass these tests of life and tests of love? You expect them. They're going to come. Secondly, you move immediately. Say that with me. Move immediately. Look at verse 3 and 4. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took his two young men with him, Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. He gets an early start. Listen carefully. The earlier you start on the journey of obedience, the better. The earlier you start on the journey of obedience, the better. 
It's kind of like a family road trip. You want to get out by 5 a.m. You finally pull out of the driveway by 8. Everybody then wants to stop and eat. Now you're stuck in traffic. Ugh. Why didn't we leave earlier? It's the same thing with obedience. Why didn't I obey you earlier? When I don't obey you earlier, I get caught in traffic of life, and I'm not doing what I should be doing, and I'm not looking where I should be looking. That's where accidents happen, when you put off the obedience to God. You start early when you travel with God. Get on the road to obedience. No stalling, no prolonging, no procrastinating. You get going. I've got a kid of mine, man. He, lo- he, just, he moves like a one-legged turtle in peanut butter. <laughs> you got any kids like that? You, you try to get him out of the house for a sports thing, you try to get him a chair, it's like, whatever. Come on. God has children like that too. One-legged turtles and peanut butter. And he's tired of you stalling. You know what you need to do at your church, and you know what you need to do in your family, and you know what God has called you to do. Well, you do it. You don't put it off. Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. No questioning God. You sure about this? No asking God for more time. I'd like to think about this again. I'd like to put it off again, God. I'd like... Do it! Stop putting it off. What's your problem? No demanding more information of God. Well, I want to check this out, and I want to check that out, and I want to check this. Go! It's God's will. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? Stop demanding of God all the details. Sit back, buckle in, and take the ride of faith and enjoy it. No trying to talk God out of this. Maybe he's learned that with the whole episode of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, you know, God, what if this? And you know, God, what if this? And you know what? It's best not to try to talk God out of his will. You just follow it. He's God. Early start, no questioning. He leaves fully prepared, donkey saddled, servants and son accompanying, wood split, they're on their way. Verse 4, he raised his eyes. He saw the place from a distance. Behold, Mount Moriah. Things just got real. He's had plenty of time, three days, to think on this. He's been looking at his son. Now he's looking at that mountain. And he's replaying it in his mind. He's mentally preparing for what God has called him to do. He sees Mount Moriah. He sees where he has to prove his love for God. And prove his faith in God. How do you pass these tests of life and these tests of love? You expect them. And you move immediately. Thirdly, you worship and not worry. Say it with me. Worship, not worry. Look at verse 5. Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will what? Worship. Now it was time to go it alone. The servants would stay back. People can only go so far with you in some of your trials. They stay back. Father and son walking together. I and the lad, verse 5. Two of them walk together, verse 6. Two of them walking together, verse 8. Isaac is a lad. Some suggest his late teens. Some suggest his mid-twenties. We know young men and lad in the context is the same Hebrew word. We don't believe he's a small child. He's walking for three days and carrying supplies. Dad is about 120, so son is late teens to mid-20s. Quite a discrepancy in age. And what do we learn here? We 
will worship. Not, I'm going to lose my son. Not, I don't know what I'm going to do. Not bemoaning the fact of, why would God require this of me? I'm going to go worship my God. I want you to understand this. Stop seeing what God wants you to give up as loss and start seeing it as worship. Stop seeing what you have to sacrifice and bemoaning it and start opening up your hands and worshiping your God. God, it is all yours. I worship you. I give up this ministry. I give up this child. I give up this money. I give up myself. It is worship. It's worship. Stop bemoaning and mourning and complaining. We had a family in our church years ago. They had 10 children, the Waller family. Ironically, their second son, who was a twin, was named Isaac. And on a missions trip, he died suddenly in Mongolia. I talked to Sue Waller about that. You know what she said? She said, I had 10 children. And God had us tithe one of them back to him. We gave him as an act of worship to our God. That is what this is. You don't bemoan what you've lost. Your wife, your child, your husband, your grandchild, your ministry. You offer it back to God. You don't worry. You worship. You worship. So open your hands and freely offer it up to God and sacrifice anything and everything as worship unto him. How do you pass these tests of life and love? You expect them and you move immediately and you worship, not worry. You believe God. So simple. Say it with me. You believe God, but yet so hard at times. Look at verse 5. We will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took it in, the, in his hand and the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and wood, and where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I, I want you to notice the things that Abraham believed in. He believed in the promise of God. We will return to you. He took God at his word. Genesis 21, 12. Through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. That's what God said. I believe it. He's not lying to his son. He's not lying to his servants. He's not lying to himself when he says, we will return to you. He is fully believing on the word of God. That is the only way to pass the test in this life. You cannot pass them unless you know the word of God and unless you believe the word of God. Dive in to his holy, perfect, inerrant word. Know it, study it, and don't just study it for Sundays, pastors. Study it for yourself, first and foremost. He believed in the promise of God. He believed in the power of God. We will return to you. Abraham had no intention of dragging a corpse off that mountain. He believed his son would die, but he believed his son would live again. Hebrews 11 tells us that. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, and it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people, what? Even from the dead, from which he had also received back as a type. He believed in the resurrection. Abraham, think of it also this way. He'd experienced God's miracle of working power in his own body. Romans 4 tells us, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. 100 years old, the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that God had promised and he was able also to perform. He believed in the promises of God, in the power of God. Thirdly, he believed in the provision of God. God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide. God will provide. You have this touching conversation between father and son walking together, making their way to Mount Moriah. Carrying supplies, making their way to the mountain. Talking, sharing. Dad, yes, son? Fire, wood, Where's the lamb? God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. What God has called you to do, God will provide for you to do. What God has called you to do, God will provide for you to do. This is the only reason Abraham can move forward. He has faith God will provide. This is the only reason Abraham can look at that mountain He believes God will provide. This is the only reason Abraham can pack his knife. He believes God will provide. He doesn't know all of the details how. He just knows God will provide. Listen carefully. Faith can only move forward when convinced God will provide. Faith can only move forward when convinced that God will provide. Your ministry will not move forward until you believe God will provide. Your pastorate will continue to flounder until you believe God will provide. Your service will sputter until you believe God will provide. You cannot face that mountain. You cannot walk toward it. You cannot conquer it until you believe God will provide that he will provide the resources, that he will provide the personnel, that he will provide the wisdom, that he will provide. You are leaders. Take the lead in your church. Live by faith. Walk by faith. And trust the God who will provide. And stop sitting there. Well, I don't know what we should do. Well, I don't know if we can afford it. Well, I'm not sure this is going to work. Well, I'm... Look, look at your God. He hangs the stars in the sky. He's created galaxies and universes. He raises people from the dead. He cannot provide for your ministry. He cannot provide for your family. He cannot provide. Stop being a mealy-mouthed little leader in your church and step forward with faith and lead your people and conquer ground for God. That's what you're called to do. You can't walk by faith until you believe. You can't walk forward until you believe God will provide. If you're doing God's will and God's work, he's going to provide. You just make sure you're doing God's will and God's work. He will provide. 
How do you pass the test of life and the test of love? You believe God. Fifthly, you finish what you've started. Say it with me. Finish what you've started. Verse 8. The two of them walked on together. And they came to a place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. What's going through his mind? He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The checklist altar, the checklist wood, rope, son, knife. What faith on the part of Abraham? What faith on the part of Isaac? Dad's 120, I can take him anytime. <laughs> Who does he think he is binding me? Hello. I'm going to outrun him. I'm going to push him out of the way. I'm not going to let him do this. Listen, listen. Isaac is so full of endearing love for his dad. The faith of the father has rubbed off on the son. The faith of the father has rubbed off on the son. What a beautiful thing when that happens in our families. When our faith rubs off on our children. How desperately I want and I pray for my faith to rub off on my children. But I need to model that faith and I need to live that faith and they must see that faith, not hypocrisy. They must not see fear in me, but faith in my God. They must see that I believe in God and I follow God and I walk with God and I trust in God and that I love God more than anything. You must want your faith to rub off on your children. You've got to model it. You've got to live it. They've got to see it. The moment of truth. The moment of action. No more thinking. No more talking about it. It was time to follow through. He reaches for the knife, seemingly without hesitation, with the full intent of slitting the throat of his son or piercing the heart of his son and cutting open his body and spilling blood all over that wood and all over that rock. You do what you're called to do by God. You do what God has called you to do, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the consequences are. You follow through with your ministry, no matter how hard it is and no matter what the consequences are. You follow through with your ministry and don't you dare back down off that mountain and don't you dare quit your ministry and don't you dare walk away from your church. If God has called you there, you stick through it. No matter how hard it is, no matter what the consequences will be, you stay there unless God freely, clearly frees you. There's too many quitters in ministry. It's time to start passing the tests. That grass is not greener on the other side. You may say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. Look at your big church. I would love for you to go through the battles I've faced in the last 21 years. I would love for you to go through those. You don't back down. You face them with God. Tiny little building over there, 60 little people, all legalistic, piano one end, organ in the other end. Everybody, trust me. What's God's word teach? That's where we're going to stay. What's God's word teach about worship? 
says, sing a new song, sing a new song, sing a new song. Sing. You know what I teach my people? We're not singing new songs, we're in sin. Because my Bible teaches me, sing a new song. My Bible says, use the loud clanging cymbals. Guess what we do? We obey God's word, do you? My God says, you look at the heart, not the outward appearance. Is that what you do in your church? You better preach and hold to the word of God and stop putting your preferences. Listen carefully. God will bless the preaching of his word, not your preferences. God will preach, will bless the preaching of his word, not your preferences. You stay on the word of God. Too many quitters in ministry. It's time to pass the tests. And that's exactly what this man does. He passes with God's approval. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This voice from heaven, the Lord himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity. There's no angel present there, but the voice speaking from heaven. The angel doesn't say, hey, hey, he's coming on behalf of God or telling Abraham what God wants. What the angel says is, you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 15 through 18 lays out the Abrahamic covenant anew between God and the Abraham, not an, not an angel. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. And Abraham, Abraham looks up to heaven, knife in hand, and he hears from God. You know what God says? I know that you fear me. It means a deep reverence for God. It means a sincere love and adoration of God. Verse 13, Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by the thorns. And Abraham went and took hold of the, and took the ram and offered him as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. He passed. God has provided. And we learn something new about the character of God with every trial we go through. And he learned that he had a God that provides. The Lord will provide. The Lord did provide. Listen. 2,000 years ago, another father and son took a walk together. Closer than any father and son had ever been or ever will be. I and the father are one. They walked together through time and eternity. Not Mount Moriah, but Mount Calvary in the distance was their destination. Moving together always, eyes focused on the mount, eternally determined to redeem the mass of humanity from this clutches of sin and our enemy Savior, Satan, to purchase our redemption and save our soul. The Son, he would also submit to the Father's will. No matter how brutal it would be, not my will, but what? Yours be done. This son would be laid on the wood of an altar, but he would be pounded into that wood and lifted up for the world to see. Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. This son would become the sacrifice for our sin. This son would be our substitute, making him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And like Abraham, the father did not withhold his son. 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. The very one who would call from heaven, stopping the knife of Abraham, would feel the full weight of the wrath of his father, drinking the cup the father had given him. And he would shield us from the flames of hell, hungry to taste and devour our souls. That's what he would do. Darkness would descend, but the father would not stay by the son's side. The father would turn his face away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the father also believed, as Abraham believed, that his son would rise again. The power of the resurrection is real. His son would rise, destroy this temple, and in three days, I what? I will raise it up. This son, the rightful heir, also a son of promise, like Isaac. His descendants also would be like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the sea, but his line would not be born through him, but be born again by him. That's who you are. That's who I am. The Lord will provide, and the Lord did provide. Glory to God for the Son who passed the test of life and passed the tests of love, giving us life through his love. No sacrifice. I make compares to the sacrifice he made. No test of life or love compares to the test of life or love he made. How do you pass these tests? You expect them, you move immediately. You worship and not worry, you believe God and you finish what you started. And you praise God for the Savior who passed the ultimate test for you and me, the test of life and love. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at the beauty of your word that you have gifted us with. Not only teaching incredible application for where we live now, but pointing back to our Savior with such clarity and purpose and meaning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Take this moment right now and talk to your Lord. Maybe you just need to worship him. Thank him again for all of the sins that he he has forgiven you of. Thank you that he has saved you from those flames of hell. For some of you here, it's time to move, to step out in faith to trust God to provide, to be the leader he's called you to be. Talk to your father about that. For others, it's time to stop bemoaning the loss and see it as an act of worship and give it to God with gratitude and with praise. For others, it's time to believe He will provide. His promise is true. And for some, don't you quit. You need to finish what you've started. Father, we thank you for this time in your house. Lord, we ask that you would clearly work in our hearts and in our lives and our ministries. That we would have your perfect leading. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.